What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Drop Zone. I'm Dylan DeChair here with Sean Zock, and it feels like we're starting to ramp up into golf season. We had our first big event of the year, the Farmers Insurance Open this weekend. You had Rom, Rory, Tiger in the mix. Mark Leishman ends up shooting seven under on Sunday to take that down, but it feels like there's some momentum building into the season. I guess that's what happens when Tiger Woods plays. Sean and I were not out at San Diego, though. We were actually down in Orlando, Florida at the PGA show. I'm sure if you follow social media, uh, if you follow golf on social media, I'm sure you got more than your fair share of coverage from the PGA show. But it really is a major meeting of the minds. There's a lot of the most interesting people in golf all in one place. Even though it's Orlando, we had a great time. And we had a chance to sit down with Lucas Wald. He's a former tour pro turned instructor. He's a mix of new school and old school. He's studied the moves of all the great players, but he also wants to cut through the noise. He wants to build better golf swings. He wants to tell the truth about it. And he's Brandel Chambly's coach. So we had no lack of things to talk about. Uh, The drop zone is just going to be ramping up with the tour season. So we'd love it if you would rate, review, subscribe, tell all your friends. Uh, and in the meantime, enjoy our conversation with Lucas Wald. We are here at the PGA show, which is why you'll probably hear a little bit of sound that is like distant murmuring. Um, but we're here with Lucas Wald, who Brandel Chambly told us a couple months ago is his, well, you're his coach, but he also described you as probably one of the fastest growing, most popular coaches in golf. The smartest mind in golf, well, I think is what he said. Did he say that, really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Love it. get that in writing for you. Yeah, yeah but, uh, I mean, you're here at the PGA Show this week. We saw you at the Top 100 Teachers Summit a couple months ago. What is, how different is this for you this week? What do you try to gain here? What is your purpose here this week? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm uh, going around to all the exhibits, um, trying to learn about the new technologies. Um, I'm here to shoot a uh, series with Chris Como that's yes. uh, on, on Friday. Friend of the program. Yeah, yeah. We're doing um, Swing Expedition. Brandel, in fact, is coming on the show with me. Um, so I was in town for that. Do so you watch I, that show? I do. Yeah, I like great. it it's a fantastic. lot. Like, yeah. There's only so many ways that instruction can be presented to me where, I don't know, it feels like I'm getting the best of the best. Like I feel like you can kind of like, it can be surface layer in a lot of ways and I think Chris really dives into the things that make each instructor like really, really intriguing and different and unique. And I love it. So yeah, he gets, we get right to the point. In fact, he and I talked on the way over, went over the framework of things we're going to uh, talk about on, um, on Friday. And uh, I think it's going to be a fantastic episode. Nice. How much do you feel like your philosophy aligns with other, you know, well-known top teachers and how much, how much clashing is there? Um, healthy disagreements or, or yeah. just differences that's, in philosophy? That's a good question, Dylan. I think probably three or four years ago, there was a big clash. And to see the evolution of things when it comes to instruction take place is is music to my ears. And, yeah. and I'm watching these guys now teaching a, a full backswing, a full hip turn. George Gankus, I know you guys had on the <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Um, love GG. Yeah. Uh, love the lower body rotation that, that he teaches. Um, a lot of his guys are athletic. Um, and when you look back at the best swings of all time, that's what you see. You don't see a robotic type motion. You see an unrestricted hip turn. Oftentimes you see the lead heel come up in the air. You see the feet flying all over the place. 
uh, like a Bubba Watson yeah. uh, in today's game. Um, so that's the type of swings that I look at. I look at the elites throughout the history of the game, and we've gone back to the early 1900s all the way up to the present day. And, and you know, there are commonalities that, that we study. Yeah, we wanted to really dive into that with you a little bit because we know that that is something that you are obsessed with studying. I remember I actually wrote a, a short piece just based off a picture that you put up that was, uh, I believe, Ben Hogan. Oh, that's right, you did. And Jamie Sadlowski, and the, the the top of their backswings look remarkably similar. Yeah. And I, Doppelgangers. I <laughs> your, your commentary was like, "How strange is it that the guy with the most similar swing to Ben Hogan is, you know, it's not Brooks Kepka, but it's Jamie, Jamie. Sadlowski." Right. So we. People know of Ben Hogan as being a machine ball striker. Like, you know, hits it straight, hits it accurate. But what they don't know is that his swing was way, way past parallel, mm -hmm. especially young Ben Hogan, uh, pre-accident. And so when Brandon and I did the, uh, the clinic at the Top 100, we featured Ben Hogan next to Jamie Sidlowski, and the audience sort of gasped that, you know, they two-time world long drive champion looked dang near identical to Ben Hogan. Long swing, way past parallel, Right leg fully extended, right hip fully turned, internally rotated, left knee behind the ball. So it was just really neat to see Ben Hogan, arguably the straightest hitter of all time, matched up with arguably the longest hitter of all time. How do you happen upon that, like, realization? Are you, I mean, is it like a light bulb above your head? Like, holy cow, that looks a lot like Jamie or, oh, Jamie kind of sneaky looks like Ben. Like, For, for me, I, you know, it went back to when I stopped playing pro golf, I, I, I was able to spend my full amount of energy and full amount of time studying the legends of the game. Yeah. And it's not just Hogan. When you look back at even a Mickey Wright or a Babe Zaharias or a Louis Suggs or a Johnny Miller uh, or a Jack Nicklaus, you know, they, they all have commonalities similar to what I showed in Ben Hogan. You know, Jamie just happens to match up with those commonalities, or especially a younger Jamie. Um, and, th and those are the swings that, that we focus upon. I mean, not everyone focuses on those swings, right? And when Brando came on the podcast, he said that that is his go-to. He's like not every teaching pro, not every top 100 instructor is going to focus on those swings. I understand the obvious reason is because they're the greatest players of all yeah. time. But do you ever feel like you're ignoring other things that might have worked on a lesser level? Or do you think that there's just all the reasoning is in the success the proof is in the pudding yeah so i think um it, you know it's like anything else identify who the experts are yeah figure out what those experts do that makes them so good and then come up with training techniques so that you can do it too so that i can do it too um so a lot of my teaching revolves around what the best do but then the second part of that is figuring out what my students can do to incorporate those movements into their own swings mm -hmm. and that's a whole different um, set of a skill set that I've developed over the years and on how to practice, how to learn, how to compete. Um, and so I lean heavily on, on the performance scientists who talk about how to train, how to, okay. to use deliberate practice in your approach. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I think, um, but it starts with looking at what the best do. And that's uh, what Brandon, Brandon and I agree a lot um, on those key elements. Now, when you look at the best swings, is there like a list? Is it a six person group is it 15 no, no. <laughs> what is it nicholas sam sneed ben hogan mickey wright babe zaharias back in her day of course tiger woods tom watson johnny miller yeah and today's game typically i think over the last decade there's been three men who have led strokes gain driving yep. bubba watson 
Roy McIlroy, and Dustin and Johnson. Mm-hmm. So if you look at those three guys, the commonalities are apparent. And, um, you know, I could have put Dustin Johnson next to Jamie Stolowski. It's not quite a long of a backswing, yeah. and he doesn't swing 145 miles an hour. But, you know, it's very, very similar move to Ben Hogan and to Jamie. So we could have yeah. used him as well. How about similarities just in those three guys that you just mentioned? Bubba Watson, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson. I think, you know, a lot of people to the naked eye would say, oh, those are three guys that swing the golf club very differently. Mm. What do they all do in common? Yeah, that's a good question. I, You know, the, the, the engine of the swing, they, they do have some different components that might look a little aesthetically different. But if you look at the backswing, for example, they all move off the ball to basically shaft parallel. They have a little move off the ball. From there, they have a full hip turn. Maybe Rory not as much as DJ and Bubba, but he still rotates his hips. Um, They all have complete full shoulder turns, and they all have very, very little lateral motion towards the target. Um, In fact, Bubba Watson oftentimes his lead foot is flying up in the air and people think dustin johnson is not but we have video of him sliding his foot backwards tiger woods you look at tiger woods in 2000 same type motion um lead foot unweighted he's hitting on on a on an axis of rotation similar to bubba watson will you look and at rory too so <laughs> yeah so tiger's on the list right tiger's on the list is, for sure. is it is it tiger 2000 on the list is tiger 06 not on the list like when you look at Tiger, yeah. he has to be a tricky case. It's a, yeah, it is tricky, but, it, you know, again, I go back to the most dominant stretch in the history, yeah. and he was most dominant in 2000, 2001. Yeah. Um, what he did winning the Masters last year with all the physical, um, <laughs> you know, things that he's overcome in his career, amazing feats. Um, Tiger still swings it well, but I, I go back to the most dominant stretch, and that was yeah. in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. So Now, laymen like myself – if I was going to you and saying, Lucas, can you help me out? Now, you haven't looked at my swing, and I'm not going to give you that right now, but is it, is it ever tricky to bring those aspects from the greatest players to someone like myself? Like, it just has to be a very, very, like, it's got to be more elongated process with maybe more steps. What's so yeah, tricky about it? Yeah, it yeah. So easy? a lot of my students, you know, in the beginning, I think people tend to overestimate what they can accomplish in a day or two. So they come yeah. in and think they can oh, just gosh, get a quick yeah. fix, but they underestimate what they can accomplish in six months or a year sometimes okay. or even two years. Okay. Um, so day one, we'll come in. I'll use video to assess your movements, and then I'll usually put your swing next to what the best do. And then I'll outline those key components that mm-hmm. you do and what they do and we'll try to sort of merge those together and mm-hmm. then we'll we'll start practicing away from the driving range that's another big thing most people Why want to go that? right to the range and hit balls and things are happening too fast it's okay. sort of um it'd be like me getting into the batter's box we were just throwing baseballs yesterday at a facility but it'd be like it'd be like me getting in a batter's box and thinking that i could hit a pitcher throwing 95 miles per hour no chance. I mean, I might slap at the ball, yeah. but to develop a world-class baseball swing takes time. You start, you know, you would start off slow, soft so where, toss, where, off where of are a you? Like when you say away from the driving range to develop my swing, where? Like where is that location? In front of mirror. Where am I located personally? No, like so you said yeah. in front of a mirror, right? Yeah, get into a studio where you're surrounded by mirrors, mm-hmm. where there's some cameras for feedback, where I'm watching you, and then we would start training just like we would sort of in martial arts. We wouldn't 
we would we would get you away from the driving range. We would we would work on the sequencing mm -hmm. outside of a, a setting where you're too concerned about the result of a golf shot. You know, if, okay. you, if, if me yeah. when I hit a bad shot, I'm like, so I want to know why. It's so tough. Instead of, let's focus on the movements first and then go hit yeah. golf balls. I think one like perception from a lot of golfers at country clubs or people that are just trying to get better. Everyone's trying to get better is like the range is where you get better. And if I want a lesson, I want the lesson to be at the range. Right. So you don't ever preach that, at least at the start. No, my, my approach, that's something that differs on me. My approach differs in that we get off the range on day one or two. We'll go with the range eventually. But the long-term students, I find that you actually have better results if you can train away from the range and then save that for later on. Is it tough to convince people? It, it is, but I, you know, again, like, you know, I lean, I lean on the performance scientists here and they, you know, they talk about this notion of deliberate practice. And yep. when you practice, you shouldn't be out on the range for two and three hours. You need to short bursts, bursts of intense focus sessions work best. Okay. Um, and I don't care if you're learning a, a musical instrument or a foreign language, you, you know, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't learn Spanish and start speaking in complete sentences on day one. Uh -huh. You got, you got to start off slow. Um, and that and that's what that's what we do. Yeah. So people people really love to rush through the uh, the process, I guess, yeah. by which you can get to a result of you know two strokes better, three well, strokes better. Everyone wants a quick fix, right? Yeah. So Sean just did Phil Mickelson's uh, six day fasting diet, coffee and water. Oh, and wow. I don't know if you've ever gotten so much feedback on a piece no. because, and I think what it speaks to is like. Like everyone wants to lose the 12 pounds that Sean lost in a week. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And the idea of doing it in a week is like, sign me up. Yeah. yeah. I think with training the golf swing, it's probably a slightly, uh, you know, I, let me say this on the, process. the, the speed training type of things, getting, um, a jump in club head speed. We, we can do that pretty quickly. A lot of people that come to me, hmm. especially amateurs, their back swings are super slow. Um, and that's one thing that we, when you look back at a, a Nicholas or a Tiger or Hogan, these guys move the club fast. And so when I get the amateurs in who have this sort of contrived thinking about too many things on the backswing, hmm. if I speed them up and bring athleticism into their body, we do get jumps in club head speed pretty quick. So from the backswing in particular, from the backswing in okay. particular, but you know, Everywhere, just letting yeah. them turn their hips, letting them be longer at the top of the back. They've been told to restrict the hips on the backswing, to use the X factor, this to coil. Speak, speaking yeah, to me. To this coil, is speaking yeah. to me big time. <laughs> so, if, you know, we do find that, that club head speed is easily measured these days. We all have launch monitors, yes. flight scopes, track mans now. Um, so when I have a lot of guys come in, they are surprised especially at going when you know when you see someone come from 95 miles per hour and just in a few sessions they're swinging 102 miles an hour yeah. 105 miles an hour yeah. they light up and they see on the <laughs> monitor going from the 200 yard carry to 230 and that's doable pretty quickly now mm -hmm. to train the whole sequence takes some time but yeah. to, to develop I imagine some like mph 108 to 118 is a lot trickier to see Indeed. gains within than 98 to 108. 100%. Okay. 100%. The better the player, the more difficult it is. The better the swing, the more difficult it is. But, um, you yeah, know. Is there anything else besides getting, like, a more athletic, quicker backswing? What, what else are common, like, starting points to getting more speed? The lateral motion. The m most... Most golfers that come to me were taught to post up on the left side to shift their yeah. weight through the ball. They've, yep. they've been told to move into the lead side. Once I let them know that 
you know, now we can lean on the, the force plates. We know that Where when you look at a is. Justin Thomas or you look at a Bubba that have been on these force plates, the, the weight shift is not going through to the left side, especially with driver. They're hitting it more off the back foot at impact. So when I limit the lateral motion of these amateurs, they pick up a lot of rotational speed pretty quickly. <laughs> Let's go try it. Yeah, yeah, seriously, yeah, yeah. that's the thing. Getting excited here. All right. How much is injury prevention either a consideration in the way you teach or at least like a, a byproduct of the way you teach? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, if you look back at like the longevity of a Phil Mickelson or yeah. a Tom Watson or VJ Singh or Sam Sneed, dang near winning a major uh, at 60. And Tom Watson, in fact, almost won the British Open in 2009 at age 59. So I like the swings that are long, free-flowing. It seems like those swings are less uh, injury-prone. Um, you see a guy like Jason Day. I love Jason Day. Yeah. But he restricts his motion so much and then adds power to How that restriction. How does he restric- do that? For, like, can you... Sp- Everyone that is probably listening has seen Jason Day play. Explain they know it his... to Sean like he's three. Yeah, <laughs> explain like his restriction of motion and how that could lead to. Yeah, I think I think when you when you apply some 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 of these ballistic movements to a motion that doesn't sort of um, distribute the load throughout the whole body, okay. you have potential for injury. So in Jason Day's case, he doesn't turn his hips on the backswing. I mean, he's restricting the left knee, does not move behind the ball. His shoulder turn is dang near to 90, but he's not using his whole body to create the, the motion, the speed. So he's putting speed and power into a, a motion that, that is um, probably, you know, less efficient than someone like a VJ Singh yeah. uh, or, or Phil or um, um, Tom Watson. And so I think with a little bit of a tweak, I mean, you talked about having a guy that I would like to get a hold, Jason Day. There you go. I would love to sit down with Jason Day and just show him a few of these elements and then let him try to incorporate, maybe not, not all of them. He's yeah. obviously world class. Yeah. Uh, but I think it would help his body, and we would love to see him playing in his 40s. As it goes now, I mean, you know, he's, he's injured a lot. So. Now, I don't want to get you like – to go too far down the rabbit hole but when you said the guys like rory dj bubba that have always been strokes gained elite driving you look at their swings are there things that you think you could help them with um possibly i think um the main thing that i would say is i would want to protect their talent and encourage them to take a look at the things they do great and not listen to anyone tell them that they need to change those things that they do great, even yeah. though that they might not look perfect. I mean, I know Bubba. Yeah, Bubba is not going to change his swing. I, yeah. you know, I know I've, I've been around Ted perfect. Scott as caddy, and um, which is a great guy, Teddy, yeah. and uh, he and I work some together. But um, thankfully, those guys have a good team around them, and I think they have the right people around them. They're not going to deviate too far from what they do that makes them great. Well, but but we, that, it is a thing that you see though all the time. I mean, guys even when they're at the peak of their powers, it seems like some guys just like to tweak and tinker and really question. Even, you know, Bryson DeChambeau just started this big bulk up, and he was saying that he started it uh, at the 2018 Hero World Challenge. He just won in three of his previous five starts, I think, or three, three of his previous six starts, and that's when he decided to tear it all down. So it is interesting. There's something about the mentality of some of these top pros. Maybe it's what makes them so good to begin with, 
but that you know keeps them questioning things. Yeah, I think the greatest athletes are always looking to get it better. Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, Roger Federer, Nadal, they're always pushing themselves to go beyond what the, the current status quo is. Chris Como was texting me Bryson's track uh, trackman numbers the other night. The guy hit 199 ball speed, which <laughs> I mean that's borderline competing in long drive. Yeah. Um, so what? you know, yeah, 199 ball speed. You know, and so yeah, he put on a massive weight gain of probably 25, 30 pounds. But not only that, guys, he 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 changed his sequencing, and so yeah. it's a. Um, I like that. I think it's a little risky. Um, he's done some things with the setup that are different. He's added some rotational elements to his backswing and downswing. Uh, footwork is slightly different. Uh, so we'll see what 2020 holds for Bryson. Um, if he can take 190 ball speed out there, I mean, that's Cameron Champ yeah. numbers. Yeah. Um, so it'll be fun to see how that parlays into playing, playing golf. You're obviously involved in uh – a bunch of long drive stuff you you work with some long drive guys and you you study them a lot what is the hardest thing about taking long drive talent and speed to the golf course to the golf course um you know i guess long drive you have eight shots so you have you only have to hit one out of eight in play and so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like That's right now freedom. i can just tell you from like eddie fernandez right now we he is transitioning to champions tour golf he is mm, 49 oh, really? yeah uh, he turns 49 this year and so he'll get to go to champions tour q school and he's going to take 195 ball speed into into play um on the champions tour uh hopefully he can make it but we're working on things like cut shots to mm. eliminate the left side of the golf course altogether where you can cut it in play every single time. And if he can do that, give up 20 yards, he doesn't need 20 mm. more yards. He yeah. just needs to get it in play. Mm -hmm. So we're doing things like, you know, getting, getting up on the right side of the tee, cutting it in play um, for him to know that he's not going to hit an errant tee ball. Occasionally he will, but um, – we're just about to undertake that. And then another Champions Tour hopeful that you work with a lot, Brandel Shambly. Brandel. What is he like to work with uh, as a student? Brand he's the best. Brand Brandel is the consummate professional. Um, you know, we, we work on all facets of the game. Um, he's a, a great student of the game. Um, he bought in from day one. Um, I've got great before and after swings of Brandel. Um, you know, he practices what he preaches. His book, The Anatomy of Greatness, he goes through the lineage of all the great swings with pictures and diagrams. A great, great book. Um, so gr great student altogether. I hope 2020 he can get in some events and, and uh, play well. So when you guys are, are together workshopping kind of thoughts about the golf swing and talking through stuff, is he aware that his opinions and the way he shares them are going to become like controversial because he has become this sort of unique figure in the the golf world where you know we love him we think he's a thoughtful guy it seems like he when he says stuff he's thought a lot about it i get that i get that asked a lot to me about brandle and and i will say that he's the most prepared person i've ever seen when he sits down for an interview or when he goes live on air he has done his homework um and so I respect that about him. We did an interview with Ben Crenshaw last year for the Ben Hogan special that was aired on the Golf Channel. And I was with Brandel, fortunate enough to sit down with Mr. Crenshaw. And he had stacks of pages of information that he had ready 
to talk to Ben Crenshaw about. And I was reading through the notes on the way to the interview, and I was just astounded that when we got into the interview, he didn't use any of the stuff hmm. on the pages. Ben Crenshaw went a different direction. Yeah. But the point was, when I got back to the car, I asked Brandon, like, you know, why did you prepare that much? And he said, Luke, I, I was prepared for any direction that we were going to go in that conversation. And it was just neat to see how much, you know, he does in prep work for these interviews are going on the air or talking about swings. He's yeah. just, um, you know, the work ethic I really respect. For I him. wonder, you know, having had a similar conversation with him about trying to, you know, mimic and emulate the greatest swings of all time. He is so granular. Uh, I wonder if that, that kind of level uh, of attention to detail, I don't know. Like, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, do you feel like your lessons with him are different than other people because of how much he knows about what you're trying to tell him to do? Because like, if you gave me a lesson, I don't know everything that you and Brandel agree upon. Right. And so I would probably be listening to you about everything. I wouldn't disagree with nothing. Yeah. Do you end up at all disagreeing with Brandel about some things or do you like, does the fact that he knows a lot about what you're trying to work with him on help? It, yeah, it does, does help. Make it easier. It does. It does make it easier. I mean, I, I think we tend to agree on ninety percent of the things regarding the swing, but there's a few things. What um, happens when you disagree? Um, we just move on. But uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he, he's the boss. <laughs> but no, um, like for example, in my own swing, in my quest to get to. 180 ball speed 120 miles per hour club head speed i tend to want to use the footwork of a bubba watson or a young tiger woods i love my left foot my lead foot as a right-handed player to really pull back as i'm extending the left leg really hard okay. i don't mind if it's flying all over the place sure randall tends to like a ben hogan's footwork who doesn't extend as hard through the strike aesthetically it's really Nice. Both are nice, in my opinion. He just likes a little bit more stability of the left foot and impact. And I, you know what? I'm fine with that. Um, I think he could maybe hit it a little farther if he did a little bit of a Bubba Watson. But um, we'll tackle that another day with BC. <laughs> this like disagreement is very fascinating to me in the golf instruction circles because we were down at the Top 100 Summit and we were getting a lesson from George Gankus. And as Dylan was able to see and hear, like, there is a number of, of people that just don't subscribe. Some dissenters, Lucas. Do you mind, uh, as an instructor, being viewed from behind? Like, do you, do you care if people are, like, looking over your shoulder at what you're doing, observing no, you? I, I don't, but I think it puts some pressure on the student. And that's what I find. Huh. They they are less likely to want to make a mistake, especially when okay, the golf I felt that. There. I you felt know, that, man. It's not, I, yeah, and I would have felt it too. If yeah. I was taking a tennis lesson and there was a crowd of people around and Roger Federer was watching me, I'd be embarrassed or whoever. Yeah, you know, yeah. There were some really good players watching. Um, so that's why, again, I think, you know, Let's remove the ball. Let's let's not let's work on the sequencing, the fundamental movement patterns, and try to work on that and get our feedback from the, from the movements, mm -hmm. not the outcome of the shot. Mm -hmm. And then maybe at the end of the lesson, let you apply it to hitting a ball. But at the first, while you're uncomfortable, while while everybody's watching, let's work on the movements and then hit balls at the end and see you know if some of it translated mm -hmm. into the actual art form of hitting the ball. If there's anyone listening that uh, I just heard a stat this morning that only 17% of golfers take lessons. Yeah. If there's anyone listening that has never really seen an instructor or has never really like invested in their golf game in a, from a teaching or lesson perspective, what would you tell them? 
Um, I, well, I, I would tell them. I would tell them number one, find someone that has some swing videos of the legends. You know, I have three thousand swings in my library. If someone comes in for me for a lesson, we look at their favorite swings throughout the history of the game, men and women. So let's find the commonalities of the greats and then show them what they are doing compared to what the greats do, and then you know try to get them moving in that direction. Get on YouTube. I mean, go go right now to YouTube. YouTube is an untapped treasure trove, I think. Untapped. I think it blows my mind how many, how much golf instruction is zero dollars on YouTube. I guess what I think is kind of tricky, though, is if I'm doing that in my New York City apartment, how in the hell do I apply it to my golf game? It it probably just takes a shit ton of practice, uh, well, we, or like you know, actually like so. I bridging have, the gap is what I'm yeah, talking. Yeah, bridging about. the gap. So I I think that's a perfect place to train if the ceilings are high. I mean, you can definitely make a full swing yeah. inside your apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, you can set a mirror up face on and down the line and work on these movements right from your home. Mm-hmm. Um, you can hit something. You can you can buy these little Velcro targets to put on your club and hit something. I don't like to do air swings. I think there should be resistance at impact. Okay. Um, so I have a lot of people ask me about air swings. About Why don't swings. you like air swings? Um, I, mean, I think it's, the joint. It's less sort of real, like, I guess. It's less real, but it also I find that that the joints need. It's sort of like dry firing a bow. Like if you had a bow and arrow and you dry sure. fired it, they'd say not to do that, right? It it damages the bow. You need the arrow on the string to protect the bow. Huh. Or it'd be like me throwing a, a ping pong ball real hard. That would hurt my shoulder. Mm. But I can throw a baseball through baseballs yeah. yesterday. It's yeah. not going to hurt as much. So you need you need resistance yes. at impact. This is hilarious to me. Sorry to, to yeah. interrupt, but a number of years ago, we I was at the Bridgestone, then the Bridgestone Invitational, now the WGC FedEx St. Jude. It's a mouthful. We were doing swing sequence photography, rapid photos, get Jason Duffner or anybody to, to hit a drive, but we were, we were not using actual golf balls. We were using foam golf balls, and it blew my mind. It did not make any sense to me, but Ryan Moore said, I can't hit that or I will hurt myself. If I hit that foam golf ball, I'll hurt myself. I think this is half of what you're speaking to. Yeah, you need the bracing. Like, um, I think it was Stuart McGill, Dr. Stuart McGill did... Um, MMA fighters, um, mixed martial art fighters, he, he looked at, at impact when they were kicking or striking, the whole body braced at impact. And so when we hit it, when we hit a foam ball or if we swing in the air, we don't have that bracing at impact that we actually need, that pulse. Hmm. Um, I don't know how that translates to golf, but I <laughs> well, have read that slightly study. lesser extent, I a imagine. Lesser extent, but, yeah. but similarly, when Ryan Moore was swinging through impact, he didn't feel his body contract, I'm sure, yeah. and probably felt his arms fly Flailing, off away from sure. his body. Um, he felt that if I did that at full speed, it might hurt. Yeah. You know? It made no sense to me at the no time. Sense. And I was like, are you kidding me, he Ryan? dry fired a bow, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> essentially. But it, there's something to that. You focus a lot on other on movements from other sports it seems like baseball you focus on anything else that you feel like translates well yeah any any hitting type motion translates to the golf swing baseball swing i look at the home run hitters and again there's a big um, uh, range there guys if you look at a a Pujols or barry bonds um uh, compared to some of the 
the base hitters like uh, Ichiro Suzuki, great player, but there's definitely a technique advantage to the home run hitters when yeah. you start looking at them compared to a, a base hitter like Suzuki or a Well, uh, I mean, just Tony recently, Gwynn. people have baseball has seen its greatest home run seasons in terms of total home runs just through people realizing, oh, wow, hitting up on the ball creates more home 100%. runs. 100%. And, they're <laughs> and using you look what, at golfers and- today. And people are hitting up on the ball more than I think they ever had before. Like, there you, yeah, I was taught when I was out. playing Little League to hit down on it, you know, to come from up above and strike down on the baseball. And now um, they hit know through drives. Te- yeah. yeah, hit line drives. Now they know through technology that that's not what Pujols did. You know, that's not what Barry Bonds did. So we, we know that um, the best do it similarly in baseball. But I would say other sports, um, hockey. Um, I was just with Brad Faxon a few days ago, and, and I asked him what sport out of all the professional athletes that oh, he's yeah. played with translates into the best golfers after they've retired. And he said, hockey hands down, players. hockey players. So it the checks slap out, shot. though. I mean, I think we're, we're going to end up probably doing a story on that for Golf Magazine at some point because we've got a couple coaches out in New York that, that coach all the Islanders. Like, I mean, when I was going to school at Wisconsin – Joe Pavelski is this great San Jose Sharks player. He would he was in the Stanley Cup Finals, came back after the playoffs a day later, having hitting slap shots for months, you know, obviously, and he won the club championship like a day after returning to Madison. And I was wow. like, how the hell are you so good at golf and hockey? Well, it's just because like the motions are actually quite similar in a number of ways in terms of balance and your placement of your feet. And, you know, the top of your swing and your contact is beneath your body. Like, yeah, and they, yeah. they, they maintain their posture through mm-hmm. the strike, their, their lead arm. They're, they're pulling with the, le- the left arm. They're pushing with the right mm-hmm. arm. It creates a torquing sensation. <laughs> There's not a lot of slide. They're on ice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're, they're, they're using their body, especially their lower body, very, very similarly to, to a high-level golf swing. Yeah, I spent some time on the Canadian tour right at a uh, short, very unimpressive mini tour golf career, but uh, <laughs> and I hit it. I thought pretty far at the time in college. I hit it about 300 yards on average when I uh, played in Canada. There were a few guys that hit it 305. A couple guys hit it 310, 312. There was one guy, Taylor Pendrith, who averaged I think 342 for the wow. summer. <laughs> and wow. He was a Canadian who'd grown up playing the hockey, hockey. <laughs> went to uh, went to Kent State. I know he's battled injury. I think he's on the Corn Ferry Tour now this coming year. But there was just a couple guys that played hockey that were just next level when it came to, you know, he was hitting two iron past my driver. And it was like, it really get a sense of, okay, there is a whole nother level of, of power and speed here. And Jamie Sidlowski, by the way, we mentioned him earlier in this podcast grew up playing hockey hmm. that, that was his that was his first love so he he transitioned to golf later on after being a not just good but a pretty great hockey player yeah. this just um, tells me that like dustin johnson's son tatum yeah he's got the gretzky the gretzky jeans <laughs> the golf that kid the will hockey. be incredible at hitting the golf like he <laughs> has to hit it a mile that's my prediction uh lucas thanks for joining us man it's been thanks, fun guys. appreciate it thanks for having me That's going to do it for this week's Drop Zone. We hope you enjoyed the conversation with Lucas Wald as much as we did, and we hope that you'll stay tuned to the Drop Zone next week, same time, same place. You know, we're going to be dreaming of warm places here from our New York offices, and then actually we're going to be visiting some coming up. So a lot of good stuff ahead on the Drop Zone. Please rate, review, subscribe, 
all that good stuff, and join us again next week.